0: You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. You know, we're in this together in this series, and I was like, uh, the passage that right now for me moves me and shapes me and like gets me the most excited about being a Christian, about what it means to be together in this, is this passage that I want to read for you guys right now. Okay, So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, 1 Corinthians it's 1, and then it's eight, uh, 18 to uh, 25. Uh, and I'm going to read. It says this. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, the Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness is stronger than human strength. This is so good. I'm going to explain why it's so good, um, why I love it so much. But in order to do that, I'm actually going to um, go back to a message that I wrote back in January. And uh, remember when we had that big uh, blizzard, and then we had to cancel church? You guys remember that? And then Juby and I got stuck in Miami without the kids. It was terrible. And um, yeah, so I wrote this message then, and then we put it online. So maybe a couple of you have heard it, uh, but I'm going to sort of go back to this, because I think that that message back in January sort of explains the foolishness of the cross. Like, oh, I love it. It's so good. So I'm going to start off by by asking us something. Have you heard the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Have you heard this phrase? Okay, good. (laughs) I have these two friends, Chris and Kevin, and one night they were out at a bar, and my friend Chris picked up a knife that a bartender was using to cut limes, and he goes, Kevin, put out your fingers like this, and I'm going to stab between your fingers, and then he stabbed his thumb, like, right off, like, just, like, stabbed it, and, like, <laughs> Kevin, uh, you know, he tore all the tendons in his thumb, and he had to have surgery and stuff, um, It was awful. I'm laughing because Kevin tells this story. I wish he was here to tell it. He goes to rehab, right? So he has to go to rehab for his thumb. And he goes to this rehab place and he walks in and he's like, he's like, there's people just waking up from comas. There are people who are regaining like the use of their legs. He's like, there are people there that like, you know, are learning how to eat again. He's like, and I have this thumb injury. (laughs) And so he's like, I didn't know what to do. So he goes, I put on my headphones. Put on Kelly Clarkson. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and I just flexed that thumb. He's like, What doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Like while all these other people are all around, like with serious injuries. He said it was like by far the most embarrassing moment of his life. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I, I just wanted an excuse to tell that story. I think it's so funny. Um, and uh, yeah, it's this phrase that we use. Like, <laughs> it's this phrase that we use. It's this thing where. Um, you know, when we break up with somebody or things aren't going our way, we lose our job. It's a struggle to be in New York. We say, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. We're not dead, you know. We preach on this, too, um, because we've said a bunch of times. We've said, hey, you know, when you're going through these dark periods in life, this is, this is how you're growing. This is what spiritual growth is all about. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? And so it's this idea that we have. My, my goal, my goal is to be on Oprah. And to say to Oprah, Oprah, I made it. And she'll say, tell me how. And I'll say, listen, there's a lot of people that got in my way, a lot of obstacles, but you know, Oprah, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's what I want to do. <laughs> like, that's my dream. Um, you guys know where this comes from, this idea, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Do you know? It actually comes from Frederick Nietzsche. How many people have heard of Nietzsche before? That's who it comes from. He's an atheist philosopher. In his book, Twilight of the Idols, he says this, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Now, Nietzsche is not talking about like broken relationships. He's not talking about when work's not going well, and he's not talking about the struggles of living in New York. Nietzsche is literally talking about that thing in front of you that wants to eat you. When it doesn't eat you, it makes you stronger. That's really what he's talking So he's talking about something at a very basic, biological, evolutionary level. right? He's saying, like, um, you know, when you uh, are a caveman and you're out as a hunter and a gatherer, uh, he's saying that thing that is there in front of you What doesn't kill you will make your line Your humanity stronger So he's actually talking about our brains He's talking about the amygdala I talk a lot about amygdala That fight or flight part of your brain That if there is a lion coming after you You're like alright what am I going to do here Like that's the part of the brain he's talking about and he's saying that humans will get better And they'll continue to evolve So long as that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger So that's where he's coming from And yet we're not really being chased by lions anymore, I don't think. Um, or bears or anything, for that matter. Um, and so we've sort of taken this like, evolutionary biological piece of us, this, this evolving, that doesn't kill us makes us stronger, and we, we've sort of applied this stuff that's not really part of like, you know, our fight-or-flight instinct. We've sort of applied it to the rest of our lives. And so what we've done is we've taken this, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger, and we've created something else out of it. And I like this other phrase, how many people have heard it? Might makes Right. Might makes right. You guys know might makes right? That's what we've done with our, with our uh, evolving, okay? So now might makes right. So whenever you're on the bottom, what you're going to do is you are going to gain strength, gather strength so that you can use power so that you can be on the absolute top. Might makes right. We love might makes right stories, Okay, we like the stories of the strongest person winning when, especially when there's an evil being done to them, right? So Tarantino's got the corner of the market on this, right? With Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained and all the rest. He knows how to tell a good might makes right story. Um, my, I mean, like, one of my absolute favorite rap songs and one of the best rap lyrics ever is Jay-Z when he says, I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman. You guys know that? Go listen. Um, go. <laughs> Because, and I love it. It's this idea, right? Like, that, that, you know, we start off doing one thing, and then all of a sudden, we blow up, we grow, we exude power. We exude power. Might makes right. This is what this, that, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. This is what it's evolved into for us. We want to exude power. We want to be powerful. People have political platforms that talk about us exuding power and making this place, this country, a great nation of power. Right? That's what we want to be all about. And, uh, and the truth of the matter, and this is the truth, The truth of the matter is in Christianity, there's this sense in which might makes right. And you don't have to look very far to see that there uh, are a lot of people who are Christ followers who are speaking very loudly about being right and about what it means to be right and about how, uh, you know, God is all powerful and God's coming back and, you know, God hates what's happening right now. And, you know, there's some crazy things going on right now, but we fall right into this might makes right category as Christians. And this is what Paul is speaking to. This is the foolishness that Paul is speaking to. Wisdom tells us that Mike makes right. Intelligence tells us that you want to start at the bottom, now you're here, right? That, that's what it tells us. And Paul's saying, nah, nah. It's all about foolishness. It's all about foolishness. So, what's Paul doing? Um, he says this, right? So, he's speaking to the Jews and he's speaking to the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles were the Greeks. And uh, what we need to know is that uh, the Jewish God is a God uh, um, who, you know, you have these 613 laws. Make sure you follow the laws, please. If you don't follow the laws, there's a good chance you're going into exile. There's a good chance you're going to be, uh, you know, killed. There's a good chance you're going to be hurt. God's wrath is there for those people who do not follow the law. And if you are Greek, how many people have heard of the God Zeus? Zeus. That's their God, right? It's the, fam- it's the biggest God. Now, Zeus, you want to talk about, like, might makes right. On whims, people believe that Zeus would just strike people dead or hurt people or mess with people just because Zeus could do it. Zeus was God. So this is who Paul's talking to. This is the prevailing intelligence of the day. The prevailing wisdom says, follow the laws. Don't mess with God. God is angry. God is wrathful. Don't mess with Zeus. Zeus on a whim will, will you know, hurt you. So this is what you do. This is the kind of philosophy, the thing that shapes your life. Paul says this. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. What's Paul doing here? What's Paul doing? Um, Guys, footnotes in the Bible. People always ask me, how do you read the Bible? Start with the footnotes. Footnotes are your friends. All right? Paul is talking about this passage from Isaiah. Okay, and in this passage from Isaiah, this is what it actually says. It says, Therefore I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like clay. What is this? This is a warning to the people of Israel. It's a warning that says, hey, you who are not following the law, who are doing what you think is appropriate to do, I'm going to mess with you. It's a warning from, uh, through Isaiah from God that says, don't mess around, people of Ariel, where David was from. If you do that, there's a good chance you're going right back into exile. And as we know historically, they did. Okay? And, so he's, and so what Paul's doing is he takes this same scripture that the Jews know. And the Jews know it as, as a scripture of warning, a scripture of threat, a scripture of be careful or else God's coming to get you. And he flips it around. He says it's no longer what it is. It's no longer that intelligence. It's, that's no longer the wisdom. What you believe now is the foolishness. The foolishness of the cross. This is so heretical. Paul's such a heretic. Do you guys know that? He is. Anyway, yeah, yeah. he's a heretic. You know, there was no New Testament. People are like, Paul, how are you going to... Take scripture and flip it like that. And he goes, no, it's about the foolishness of the cross. So that changes everything. Now, here's why I get excited, okay? I'm going to tell you why I get excited. Because when Paul changes this, when Paul changes everything, he's changing the way we look at God, and he's changing the way we look at God through Jesus. This is tremendous, okay? First of all, he's changing the way we look at sin. I preached on sin a couple weeks ago. Do you guys remember what I said? Don't worry, I have it written down for you. Sin is anything we do to disrupt the peace and harmony God desires for this world. Okay? And remember, do you guys remember if you were here, I said, you are going to go out and disrupt the peace and harmony God desires for the world. Remember that? Remember I think far too often when, when especially the Jewish people thought of a wrathful God, they thought of a God who was separating. These people follow the laws they're in. These people do not follow the laws. They are out. I'm going to separate. I'm angry with these people. I'm not angry with these people. There was a separation and there was threat. There was threat that you would be on the outside if you didn't do what was right. Now, with the foolishness of the cross, sin looks very different. Sin is not, oh no, I better follow the law lest be thrown into a fiery pit. It's I follow what Jesus did, and I follow it because God partners with me to bring peace to this world. And when I don't bring peace to this world, I'm actually disrupting the goodness that God wants. And as a church, like, that's good news. Like, I would hope that we would hold one another accountable, like, to the peace that God wants. I hope that it would be like, you know what, that's not really bringing peace to God's world. But it's not like, hey, stop doing that because you're going to be thrown into a fiery pit of hell. It's like, no, stop doing this because you're not bringing the peace that God intends. a very big difference in the way we look at sin. That's the foolishness of the cross. The foolishness of the cross changes the way we look at God's wrath. God isn't some angry God sitting there going, you know what, you don't follow the law. I love you, but I don't love you enough not to keep you out of this place, this Gehenna. But instead we say, well, what is Jesus not like? What's the thing that Jesus looks at? What's the thing that Jesus gets angry about? Gets angry about inequality. Gets angry about the fact that, that, may, that maybe we're not treating people the way that we should be treating them. People who have less than us he gets angry at the people who think they know religion and know it so well that they can tell people who are right. he gets mad when the might make, makes right ideas come out in full force. that's what brings about anger in Jesus and it sort of goes back to the sin right because what Jesus is getting angry about is the stuff that's not bringing peace to this world. It changes that and this is the big one. this is the one that I love the most this is the one that has allowed me to continue to be a pastor, that has made me happy to be a Christian, it changes the cross. The cross is foolishness. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. There's a lie, and the lie is that God can't stand the sight of us. That is a lie. God can't stand the sight of you. But God loves you enough that God will kill this one thing so that God can see you as good again. I would say this. I would say that God has always loved us. I would say that God has always wanted to be in our presence, and and God has always longed for us to be in God's presence. I would say that God is sitting there going, how can I show people how much that they are loved? I got it. I'm going to stand with them in solidarity on the cross. I'm going to stand with them in their suffering on the cross. I'm going to stand with them when, you know what? They might not be dead, but they're not strong. I stand with them in the suffering on the cross. I stand with them when you know might makes right and somebody has been trampled upon and they are weak. I stand with them. I'm on the cross. It's not like, oh, I don't like you. I'm separated from you. You're the worst. Let me kill this thing so I can see you as good again. It's I've always loved you. I've always seen you as good. I stand with you in suffering on the cross. Come partner in bringing peace with me. It changes the way we look at the cross. That is the foolishness of the cross. Ah, I get paid for this stuff, so I I get excited about it. You should get excited about it, too. It's amazing. It changes the way we look at God. All right, so does might make right. Does what not kills us makes us stronger? No. Basically, what ends up happening is when you change the way you look at, at wrath, the wrath of God, when you change the way we look at sin, when we change the way we look at the cross, what we see is we see a God who says unity, beauty, love comes with holding power. It comes from when we acquiesce that power. And what's beautiful and now this is the reason that I absolutely believe in the Holy Spirit what's beautiful is that when the Spirit is at work in us, when we're actually practicing this, this foolishness of the cross and we're starting to look at these things differently, you know what starts to happen? We start to change. We physically start to change, for real. It's amazing. You know, like that Nietzsche thing where he says, like, you know, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger, how it would change your amygdala? The idea of withholding power and and living out the foolishness of the cross actually changes your brain, too. Amazing study that was done by a guy named Noam Spencer. He's a PhD. You can find it in psychology today. It's this giant... If you want to read the whole thing, it's a little tedious. But, you know, um, Google it. This is what Noam Spencer says. He wanted it to test... Uh, the idea of might makes right, or that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so he did a bunch of studies, and I'm only going to mention two of them today, but one of the studies he did was he took people who were within a mile and a half of uh, the World Trade Center uh, at, at 9-11, and he took people who were 200 miles away from the World Trade Center during 9-11, and he put them through a series of tests where they looked at different people's faces and had different conversations, and he wanted to see if that which didn't kill you made you stronger, okay? And this is what he came up with. This is what he found out. I'll read it for you. Our findings suggest that there may be long-term neurobiological correlates of trauma exposure, even in the people who appear resilient. What he says is that which doesn't kill you doesn't make you stronger. It keeps you hurt. It keeps you in trauma. It's it's brokenness. It continues. Then he did this other study in Israel, and he did it with dogs. He did it with anti-terrorist dogs in Israel. And there were two kinds of dogs that the people of Israel were using for anti-terrorist uh, stuff. One were stray dogs that they were collecting off the street. And the others were dogs that were adopted into homes and fed and taken care of and, and loved and all the rest. And what they found was decisively the stray dogs who literally lived in a dog-eat-dog world, in a might-makes-right world, were untrainable and unfit to be anti-terrorist dogs. It were the dogs that were shown love and compassion and given, you know, uh, security, those were the dogs that did the best job. And like I said, he did a bunch of studies, but this is what he came up with. This was like basically his final thing. He goes, a lack of mercy, intentional mayhem, chaos, they don't toughen you up, and they don't prepare you to deal well with the terror of the world. Tender, loving care actually make you tough, because they nurture and strengthen your capacity to learn, adapt, how to fight, and adapting to later Hardship, and this to me, like, isn't it amazing the way I think like God works in like the physical way? We talk about this all the time at this church. When you actually believe in the foolishness of the cross, when you actually believe in withholding power, when you actually believe uh, that delaying gratification, showing love, bringing peace to this world that God intends, and you do it without being fearful and afraid of a God who's going to like you know toss you somewhere or hate you or whatever, your brain changes, and you actually bring peace to this world. It actually starts to happen. That's incredible. Whenever we do those things, there's a unity that comes about. Whenever, we, do, whenever we, we, we say that, you know what, it's not about might makes right, it's about the foolishness of the cross, there is the, we partner in the peace that God does. It's happening within us. That's to me, is like, oh, the body. It's so, it's so incredible. God's, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so what do we do with this? What do we do? I think the first thing we do is we celebrate the first thing we do is we celebrate as a church. You know I believe in our church. I believe in our church and I believe in the together and this stuff and I believe that why we raise money. I believe in it because I believe that we are a church that's calling people to look at the foolishness of the cross in some really new ways, in ways that are amazing, in ways that are good news. And we need to embrace this great news. I can't begin to tell you the number of people who walk through this door and they say, God's mad at me. God's angry with me. I'm afraid I'm going to hell. And I'm like, oh my gosh, God is so in love with you. Stop disrupting shalom and partner with the peace that God intends. Like We've been told a lie. Let's embrace the good news of the truth, the foolishness of the cross. Let's become a foolish church. Who's with me? Foolish church? Thank you. Thank you, Daryl, for being with me on this one. How do we do this practically? How? I'm going to be real practical here. Um, So when I first wrote this message... I finished writing this message about Might Makes Right, and I had found this study, and I was all excited about the way the Spirit works and changes us and the biological changes. And I'm driving down the street in Miami, and there's this guy in front of me, and he's got a, uh, he's got a car with, like, the Confederate flag on it. and It's got, like, um, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people, and, like, you know, a bunch of other bumper stickers. I'm not going to get into it. And, um, you know, what a, what the first thought, I'm like, what an idiot. This, and, like, honestly, it's the thought of, like, this guy just doesn't get it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm more involved than this guy. I know better than this guy. And I had just finished writing this message, and I was like, well, what would happen if I actually with, withhold the, those thoughts or withheld that, that power that I felt over that guy at that time? Because I definitely thought I was better than him. I definitely thought I was moving at a better pace. I said, what would happen? I started thinking, and I was like, you know, that guy probably stayed up last night just like I did, worrying about money or something, I don't know. Probably just like me. And then I was like, and I bet you that guy wants to feel secure just like I want to feel secure. And then I kept going. I was like, I bet you that guy has experienced loss the same way I've experienced loss. I bet you that guy wants love the same way I want to be loved. And then I was like, that guy's going to die just like I'm going to die. And then I was like, that guy's loved by God the same way I'm loved by God. And it was weird because as I started to think this, I was like, I sort of want to pull the guy's car over and hang out with him. Like, I sort of want to talk to him. And it was like in this transition, I was like, that's unity. That's the foolishness of the cross. That changes everything. That's why we have this church. And if that makes us foolish, I'll gladly wear that badge. Amen? Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, help us to embrace the absolute absurdity of your message of just unconditional love. And the absurdity of the fact that you use us, people who, you know, will disrupt shalom, but you use us to bring about your peace to this kingdom, Give us the courage to to do your work. Give us the courage to be fools. Give us the courage to to preach the good news of this gospel that it's not about, uh, uh, you know, this piece of you couldn't stand the sight of us, but it's about how you've always loved us. You've always seen us as worthy. You've always seen us as loved. Thank you for that. And when we don't believe it, send your spirit to work and move and have your being within us. We pray this in your name. Amen.